Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Dan Toma is an innovation thought leader and the co-author of two of my favorite books on innovation, the award-winning book, The Corporate Startup, which was awarded the Management Book of the Year for Innovation and Entrepreneurship by the Chartered Management Institute and the British Library in 2018, and his latest book, Innovation Accounting. Dan started his career in entrepreneurship, being involved with technology startups across the world. Puzzled by the questions, why are innovation products mainly launched by startups? Together with his team at the consultancy company Outcome, he focuses on enterprise innovation transformation, specifically on the changes blue chip organizations need to make to allow for new ventures to be built in a corporate setting. A big proponent of the ecosystem approach to innovation, Dan has also worked with various government bodies in Asia and Europe, helping develop national innovation ecosystems and implementing national innovation strategies. Most noteworthy is his work for the economic aid program of the Finnish Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Vietnam, where he helped design and manage a nationwide business acceleration program and supported the capability development activities. Dan was also featured on the Thinkers 50 2020 radar list of management thinkers to watch, while also being a member of the World Economic Forum's working group on accelerating digital transformation. In this episode, he shows why the traditional financial metrics we use to manage our core business are inappropriate for measuring innovation. Now, I've heard many people say things like, you have to measure innovation differently. You can't use ROI. We need to start measuring learning rather than revenue for our innovation work. Well, Dan is the first person I've met who gives us really tangible, practical advice on how to measure the right things. He also argues that we should not be focused on big moonshot ideas and what we really should be focused on instead. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Toma. Dan, thank you so much for being here with us and taking some time to share your important work with us. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a great honor, actually. Really looking forward to getting into it, and I have found your books immensely practical. But before we get into the work, I'd like just to get to know you personally. Could you complete this sentence for me? If you really know me, you know that. You know that I'm a very practical, hands-on person because I'm an engineer by trade. <laughs> ah, what engineering? Electronics and telecommunication. Uh-huh. Great. I ask this question of everyone, and they're all strategy experts, and they give me a different answer every time. So what's your definition of strategy? I tend to think about strategy as a series of assumptions that organizations have about the future or about the direction in which they're heading. Again, this is highly influenced by my background in product development. So I tend to view strategy essentially as a backlog, if you want, of a product. We assume that certain things need to happen in order for a product to be successful. Much in the same way, we assume certain things need to happen for our organization to move from the point A, where it is today, to point B, where it wants to be, let's say, next quarter, next year, in five years' time. I love that. So like a portfolio, a pipeline of strategies and options and innovations. Exactly. And you take that and you start validating it. The only difference is that in strategy, you validate by investing in ideas, investing in external startups, investing in projects. In a product, you would normally just invest in the next sprint. 
in strategy, let's say a certain investment doesn't work, like you know, an idea failed or you invest in a startup and tanked, you should not blame the people. You should start from thinking that people did their best. And what is to blame is the strategy. So essentially, you just validated, hey, the market is just not heading in that direction. We used to work with a bank in Norway, and we had that experience with them. They said that banking for wearables was pretty big, and that was in 2018. They'd invested in a couple of ideas internally, a couple of them externally. None of them worked, major failure. But essentially in eight months, the organization learned that the market doesn't care about banking on wearable devices. So it was fine for them. They just learned a ton about the market with a very small investment. In another eight months, something else from the strategy moved up the priority list and they were starting again the same cycle of validating the particular strategy. Got it. Got it. So what got you interested in strategy? Oh, I think many things. Obviously, my own experience of being a product owner within a large organization. Why? Probably it's, it's really funny for some of the listeners. Why I was interested in strategy? Because at one point, my product got deprioritized. Uh-huh. And the reason for that was no longer aligned with strategy. However, I haven't been shown the strategy when I started on that journey eight months before. That's when I was first connected with the word and the people that were doing strategy. But that was more than 10, 12 years ago. So a lot of things have changed. At least I got more mature on the topic. There's been research that shows that most people don't know their company's strategy. Like 55% of mid-level managers can't even mention two of their company's strategic priorities. And so I can see why that is so critical for getting innovation right. You have two outstanding books, Innovation Accounting, The Corporate Startup. What would you say that you are most known for? I would say probably stuff around measuring innovation. At least that's what other people tell me, or at least when they introduce me to a third person I don't know, they usually say, hey, speak with them about numbers, both at very high level, corporate high level, but also at product team level. Again, I'm an engineer by trade, so obviously by nature attracted to numbers. Yeah, I want to talk about those metrics. You've mentioned that the COVID crisis has shifted how companies approach innovation. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, the silver lining, I would say, to the whole pandemic is the fact that a lot of companies now are thinking deeper and harder about growth beyond the core and growth through innovation, innovation-led growth, if you want. However, I'm not speaking for every single company because I obviously don't know every single company in the world. But essentially what's happening is that companies have invested a lot in innovation over the past, I would say, 10 years. Ever since the Lean Startup came out, I think more and more companies were attracted to innovation, were attracted to the Lean Startup movement. And every single book that was published following the Lean Startup pushed companies in the direction of, hey, invest in innovation, this is important. I think that that's great. And obviously, it's very beneficial for a lot of stakeholders and for society as well. But I would say that, unfortunately, a lot of these corporate innovation initiatives were just innovation theater. Essentially, they were just investing for post-it notes and nice buildings in the very hip neighborhoods of City X, whatever that city was. Executive trips to San Francisco or to Tel Aviv or to Berlin, you know what I'm talking about. In COVID, when a lot of organizations had to rely on innovation, they realized there's nothing in the pipeline. There's nothing in the bag. We have no revenue beyond our core, and our core is just dead as of next Monday. Why? Because the government imposed these restrictions on restaurants, bars, airlines. During COVID, there was a very interesting image with the market cap of Zoom, and it was equal to the market cap of all U.S.-based airlines. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
So this is what I'm talking about. I mean, those airlines have had, let's say, a good 10 years to create revenue beyond the core. I'm not saying that they should have invested in Zoom, but they should have had something that was at least non-airline where moving passengers from A to B related. I think that during COVID, a lot of executives have started pulling the plug on innovation theater. And now with things restarting, they're taking a more pragmatic stance when it comes to investing in innovation. They want to see hard facts. They want to see evidence that a $1 investment in the innovation lab is going to bring $1.50 off at least offline growth. I'm making this number up. A lot of the conversations that we've been having with executives are around bigger multiples than the core business. So if the core business is returning, let's say 40%, they hope that through innovation, especially let's say in assets-heavy industries like manufacturing or automotive, they expect through innovation to get at least to a 3x, 5x, even 10x return. Yeah. I've seen some research that shows that a dollar created internally is worth $7 in terms of your valuation compared to a dollar that you acquire. And so the market's looking for evidence that your innovation program is working, but they put a high multiple on that revenue generated. Let's talk a little bit about the accounting. So what are some of the pitfalls of financial accounting in the context of measuring innovation? Yeah, the problem with financial accounting, again, I don't hate on financial accounting. On the contrary, I'm a big fan. And to be honest with you, I think probably over the past five years, the biggest supporters that I have worked with in large organizations were the CFOs. So I'm not one of those guys that say, hey, the CFOs are the party breakers. On the contrary, I think that they have to have a seat at the innovation table. The problem with financial accounting is that it just doesn't cover what's happening pre-revenue or pre-profit. All the time that takes in between you having a brilliant idea to that idea being at least starting to generate revenue or being profitable cannot be measured with financial accounting because every single time you're going to put a financial indicator on top of that idea, you're going to be immensely disappointed. And if you then do the second mistake by comparing that particular new idea with the core business, you're going to be exponentially more disappointed, which might lead you to deprioritizing that particular innovation idea. The problem with accounting is that it's very much lagging, I would say. Basically, if you're trying to steer strategy in your organization by looking at financial accounting, you're essentially driving a car on the highway looking at the rearview mirror. Because mm-hmm. essentially what you're going to learn is, did my strategy work? How do I know that? I look at the PL at the end of the quarter or even better at the end of the year. With innovation accounting, what we're trying to do is that we're trying to give people a set of indicators that are more leading than lagging. We try to give them small chunks of evidence along the way in between the idea being created and the idea being profitable that indicates that, hey, the idea will have a bright future. The other problem with financial accounting is that also it can't track the stuff that hasn't happened. And for everybody that worked in innovation knows how important it is to do an experiment that is going to prevent you from making a very big mistake. And financial accounting can't account for that, can't account for learnings, can't account for you having saved so much money because you haven't gone down a certain path. So can you give us an example of an indicator or a measure? I've heard people say, oh, we can't apply ROI. We need to measure learning. I have rarely actually seen someone propose a real tangible metric that we can use to be these leading indicators. Can you give us an example or two? 
Yeah, obviously it really depends on the maturity of the product because every single idea, as it matures, it needs to change the indicators that are relevant for them. It's like with kids, right? If you have your kids play sports and like swimming, for example, how you're going to measure their performance when they are 12 is going to be different how you measure their performance when they are 14 or 16 or 18, right? Now, speaking about indicators for innovation, and this works particularly well for early stage, we tend to look at experiment velocity and learning velocity. In particular, learning velocity. The learning velocity is way better than experiment velocity because learning can come also from not necessarily running an experiment. You might just run some research. So we are looking at how many learnings did the team have in a unit of time. For early stage idea, we usually advise for one learning per week. And then if you want to be super fancy, you can also do a ratio between learning and experiment. But that's more to give you a sense of how well the team is doing the experiments. If you have the team do more experiments than the learnings that they get, it means that their experiments were not really effective. So the learning to experiment ratio is also very important, but that's more of an indicator for somebody that, let's say, is in HR or in coaching. They want to know if they need to apply certain coaching or put some teams for a certain, I don't know, experiment design program or Lean Startup programs. Interesting. Yeah, because I've seen metrics on learning used within, say, learning and development and HR. But practically speaking, how do you measure a learning? A learning is basically an assumption that was either validated or invalidated in very simple terms. We think that people will like, I have a model car in front of me, people will like orange cars. If I go and do an experiment and realize that people don't like orange cars, that's a learning. And this is going to prevent me from building orange cars in my next iteration. This was a very dumb example. No, but it's very easy to see. That makes it very clear. So what do people get wrong? You've touched on a few things, right? On measuring financial outcomes and not putting these in. When you're working and you've worked with governments as well, what do you see people most often get wrong when they try to implement these measurement systems? One of the most common mistakes, if I'm allowed to use that word, that I've seen is people try to distill innovation to one single indicator. They want to understand the performance of their innovation investments by looking at one single measure. And unfortunately, this doesn't work. And it doesn't work for a core business either. We don't look at one single indicator to analyze the core business. Then why would we look at one single indicator when we analyze innovation? Innovation should be measured from multiple indicators because otherwise you run the risk of, first of all, not having a very clear picture of what's going on in your organization. Second, you might run the risk of that particular indicator being easily gained. If you tell everyone and in organizations where you even connect their bonuses to that indicator, be sure that somebody willingly or unwillingly will gain that indicator. If you're using an array of indicators, it's going to be easier to get a more accurate picture. And the more interconnected these indicators are, the better it's going to be. You also talk about measuring innovations that are really those long-term moonshot innovations. And you talk about that also as being a mistake. Can you talk to us about that? The idea of the Moonshot Project, it's very nice that organizations have high ambitions and they want to do that. My only question for executives that invest in Moonshot's project is, do you have a space program? 
everybody can land something on the moon, but can you do it repeatedly? Can you do it every six months? Can you do it every two years, every three years? Do you have a space program? And in order to have a space program, to be honest with you, and this might sound very counterintuitive to some people in the audience, I would definitely not encourage you to chase only unicorns or only this moonshot project. I would encourage you to try to replicate the financial performance or the financial benefit. I think the financial benefit is a better word here. The financial benefit a moonshot project will give you in 10, 20, 50 smaller projects that you actually have the capability of managing, of running, of supplying with resources. Again, try to replicate one unicorn in 10 workhorses. It's brilliant. It makes a lot of sense. And since we're talking about the value of learning, even if what you learn is your hypothesis is wrong, what about you? What's something that you've learned that you've changed your mind about? Many things, I would say. I think one of the biggest things for me, probably as a result of writing the innovation accounting, is that I got a bit more pragmatic about innovation. And I owe that to the people that I've worked with for the innovation accounting book, in particular, the people that helped us with the interviews for the book, the people that we interviewed, people like the CTO of DuPont, Alexa, again, super pragmatic. She's the opposite of the romantic innovator, I should say. People like Thomas, the CFO of a Norwegian engineering company. Again, people with whom you get a sense that innovation needs to move the needle. People that talk beyond, hey, it's cool to do, I don't know, certain technology, AR, VR, blockchain, whatever. People that are interested more in having an impact rather than what fancy new technology that particular product uses. Yep, got it. I have tons of questions, but we are reaching the top of our time with you. Could you briefly describe the framework that you lay out in corporate startup? You talk about these five different elements. Yeah, it's the framework we created in the corporate startup, and now we're using it in innovation accounting, and actually we're using in our day-to-day work with clients. Essentially, we looked at innovation not through, let's say, one monolithic thing, but we split it up in five things. We said if we're innovation to succeed in your organization, you have to have really good innovation strategy, followed by good innovation practice, good innovation management, an innovation culture. And as a leader, you need to be able to lead for innovation, which is totally different than leading for the core business. So these are the five elements, and these are all interconnected and interlinked and mutually supportive. If you only have, let's say, strategy, and you are brilliant at innovation strategy, if you don't put that strategy into practice, you're not going to get any results. If you put it into practice and you don't have innovation management and you don't track that particular progress or you don't have the innovation accounting bit, which is part of management, you're not going to see much happening or the needle being moved. They are all interconnected. You can't pick and choose, unfortunately. Yeah, no, it's such a simple and yet profound framework. And I highly encourage readers to read both books and dig into each of those elements or drivers. And we could talk about those for several hours, but unfortunately we are reaching the top of our time with you. How can people find you and follow you and learn from you? Well, I'm addicted to LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn probably 24-7, I should say. Just look up Dan Toma on LinkedIn. I'm also fairly active on Twitter. My handle is dento__ma. 
And you can check out our books under innovationaccountingbook.com, thecorporatestartupbook.com, and our company's website is weareoutcome.co. Great. Well, Dan, thank you so much for the work you do and for sharing some of that with us here. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Nest, our editor, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of OutThinkers.